You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 285 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Steph lives in Boston where she is a developer at ThoughtPod and co-host of the Bike Shed podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Steph. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to chat today. Awesome. Well, Steph, what is your developer origin story? My origin story, it started about five years ago. I was living in Florida and I honestly needed a new job. Uh, I was working in sort of a marketing role, um, but not a full on marketing and just kind of struggling to figure out what my career path was going to look like. And so I started thinking about other options, about maybe going back to school for another a different degree, since I felt like my first degree in business wasn't really panning out for me. And I have a brother who's a developer. So I was aware of software development. I knew that he really liked his job. He was making good money. So I started thinking about that. And then my husband saw an article in the Wall Street Journal that was talking about developer boot camps and how they're a viable option and how companies were hiring some of the grads. And so that was giving me a bit more confidence that perhaps boot camps were this new thing that could work. Uh, So I talked to everyone that would talk to me. And with my husband's awesome support, I um, enrolled in Launch Academy in Boston. And it's kind of history from there. It was honestly one of the best decisions I've ever made. I completely agree with you. I am a bootcamp graduate myself, and it just amazes me how much different my life is because I enrolled in it. Yes, totally. Which bootcamp did you attend? I went through Block, which is an online bootcamp, and I was based in San Francisco at the time, which was the mecca of bootcamps. But I was working full time in marketing myself as well, and so I needed something that I would be able to do in the evenings. Oh, wow. that That's fascinating to me that you did the online program because even like the in-person program like is tough, but I feel like there's potentially a bit more support where I have someone in front of me to talk to, but it sounds like the online experience worked well for you. It did work well for me. I'd love to hear more about your experience and how you feel about boot camps now. Totally. Yeah. Do you want to dive into that? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it because they often get a bad rap and... I think it really depends on the person and your mindset and your ambitions. I, yes, I agree. I have heard some, certainly some negative things about boot camps, although I feel like I still hear more positive than negative. I I think some of the more negative concerns that I've heard in the past that have been addressed is around 2014, 2015, when they were really starting to become popular. And that's also the time that I was going through the program And a lot of them were painting this really rose-colored vision of what it was like to be a developer, how much money you were going to make. They were like, hey, do you want to code from the beach and make a six-figure salary and be able to do this in 12 weeks? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds one of those like, you know, lose 50 pounds and like... X number of weeks or something kind of silly. So I think they did receive a, some negative publicity for overhyping the this dream or this concept of what it was really going to be like and that you are going to start out as a junior. And that takes time to build up those skills to become more comfortable in your job. Um, so for my personal experience, overall, it was very positive. I, I had a good experience. It was very exhausting, um, but it, it got me where I needed to be. I was able to get my first job as a junior and then keep climbing my way from there. 
I do have other thoughts about that 10 to 12 week model, but I'd love to hear some of your thoughts before I keep going. Yeah, so I was in the three month model as well, and I ended up extending it and going into a different program as well. But I ultimately ended up becoming a instructor for the boot camp once I had several years under my belt. And I even wrote a blog post about this called the fictional developer wand, where a lot of the students I was talking to, and because it was remote, they had this belief that once they completed the program, they were going to get this amazing job right off the bat. And so my entire theory was that you're graduating as a junior, you're going to have to take a job that might not be ideal at first, just so you get some experience. And I think the boot camps just did a really poor job of marketing that. Yes, I completely agree. I... So kind of circling back to some of the things that I do like about that model, I do appreciate how practical it is. It is very much hands-on, practical application of skills that you're going to need day one of your job. And I love that part because having gone through a traditional university in four years, I felt like I really wasn't using most of the information that I had acquired during those four years at school. So I really liked that pivot to where it was more of that trade craft that I was focused on. And then circling back to the 10 to 12 weeks, I it took me a little while to figure out how I felt about it. And I started noticing about a year into my career, maybe two years, that some of the folks that I was working with were quitting and they were leaving web development for like a year to take a break, take a hiatus, kind of get their life back, maybe do some traveling. And initially I thought, oh, that's, that's really cool. Go for it. But as I started seeing that happen and also as I was in the industry a bit longer, I realized I was feeling the same way where I wanted to quit because I felt like I'd put so much of my life on hold to go through this extreme process. And I was still trying to level up so quickly as a junior developer to keep up that I was burned out. I, I feel like people that are going through boot camps are starting their careers burned out. And that's the part that troubles me that I'd love to not see folks go through that hardship. No, you're right. There's this like unwritten rule of requirements that as you're a junior developer, you're supposed to be attending all the conferences, meetups, contributing to open source, and doing extra at work. And meanwhile, you know, they might be leaving a career where they were already burned out, maybe in nursing or even as a barista. And so it's not fair that you have to have this like college mindset where you can stay up all night and burn the midnight oil, but you might be enrolling in this boot camp later in life. You might already have a family. And so it, it's tough. It's absolutely tough. Totally. I love that you mentioned the part about families because some of the folks that were going through the program with me, they had kids. And I felt fortunate in the sense that I could be very selfish with my time. And I was just focused on me going through the program but I want this to be something that's accessible to everyone who wants to change their careers or learn to code. So I think that's probably one of the more negative parts that I still hear about the programs that I still think about. Um, but it's also, it's I understand the, the other side of it where people are trying to do a quick pivot and you're trying to only take a couple months away from work to then be able to change into a new career. So, but yeah, I, I love the idea that we need to find balance and uh, well, I would love companies to help us do that. I I put responsibility on them. I also put responsibility on ourselves to make sure that we find balance. And for me, quitting to take a hiatus wasn't the balance I was looking for. I had to find it in a more day-to-day -day style and find companies that would help me encourage to find that balance. Absolutely. So on that note, do you have any advice for new developers that are just getting their start? 
Oh, totally. Uh, yes, I love that question. Um, let's see. Uh, so I think the first one is find developer friends. Find anyone that's already in the industry that would love to talk to you, share their experience, talk about how they got there. If you can't find a developer friend, reach out to me. I'll be your developer friend. I'll be happy to talk you through everything that I've experienced and know. Um, some of the other ones are use the free resources that are online. There's a bunch of them, so go ahead and start consuming those. And even if it's just 15 minutes a day, start figuring out what you like, what you're interested in. Um, I have a couple more, uh, but I want to go on a monologue about giving advice. <laughs> no, this I'm... is your keynote right now, Steph. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, in that case, I'll continue with my keynote. <laughs> Uh, one of the other uh, things I'd recommend is don't learn it all at once. Try to find one thing to learn. Maybe it's HTML and CSS. Maybe it's something else that you're excited about. Maybe it's Ruby. I would also recommend contacting recruiters. And I realize that may sound a bit too early in the process, but in my opinion, it's never too early to start figuring out what's the market looking for? What are companies reaching out to recruiters and asking for those folks to have skills in? Because that will also help you find out once you start learning some of the basics to figure out what to learn next, because there's a plethora of options out there of what to learn. So they'll help guide you in figuring out how do you turn your experience into something that will then get you paid. Not agree with the recruiter comment enough because recruiters are being paid in order for you to be successful. So in order to have that relationship with them, you wanna reach out to them uh, early and then get feedback from them as you find jobs, as they find jobs, you wanna have that open conversation so that way when that magical job does come across, you are the first person they are gonna think of because there's only so many like perfect jobs out there and really there is no such thing as a perfect job, but <laughs> you that recruiter is out there making sure that you are gonna be earning a great paycheck and that you're gonna be satisfied with the work that you're doing every day. Is that something that you did? How did you transition from working in marketing, studying online to then becoming a developer and getting paid for it? Yeah, so I graduated from the boot camp and I started going to the Women Who Code meetups in San Francisco. And I happened to go to a meetup where someone stood up and said, hey, my coworker quit today. Is anybody looking for a job? And that is how I stepped into that role. And that's really where I got my base knowledge working in support, basically live chatting with developers and solving why their code wasn't running properly in production, which no better way for a junior developer to learn than to be doing that day by day. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, that's terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying, but I learned how to sign into servers and, you know, all of that. And I became really com uh, comfortable with the command line from there. And then, you know, years of experience later, I decided I wanted to move back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I knew that it had been a couple years since I had been in that community. And so I reached out to a recruiter and basically told him the deal. And he spent months looking for jobs for me. And, you know, tirelessly, he would send them to me and I'd be like, no, nah, that's not for me. And he was completely patient with me until he found the job that I'm now currently in. Oh, wow. Yeah, recruiters can just be amazing people that can help us along our journey. I think I've only had one experience that didn't go well, um, but I've had far more positive experiences than negative. So um, I know that you work in Ruby on Rails quite a lot at ThoughtBot, correct? I do. It varies. But yeah, Ruby and Rails is still certainly my bread and butter. Awesome. So what are your current thoughts? What are your thoughts on the current state of Ruby and Rails? Sure. Um, 
So I'm very excited about the features that have been released in Rails 6. I've been following along with some of the features that are coming out, and I can't wait to have one of our Fridays because uh, we have investment days at ThoughtBot where we have Fridays where we get to do some self-improvement activities. So I'm looking forward to using one of those Fridays to explore some of the new features. Um, let's see what's new. There's uh, the action mailbox. Uh, there is action text. Um, yes. Have you had a chance to play with any of those? or I haven't. I, we're currently using CK Editor in our application, and I've been looking for a reason to pull it out just because it's a very heavy dependency on our legacy, our main legacy application. And so I think Action Text would be a great fit. So that's something I want to do. We don't have a need for multi-database support, but I think that's amazing that they baked that into Rails 6. Yeah, that one's fascinating to me. Um, I have my current clients actually working on using the multiple database, or they're they're moving in that direction. So I'm very interested to see how that goes for them. I'm not familiar with the the tool you mentioned earlier. You said CK Editor. Yeah, it's a longstanding Ruby on Rails plugin. It's a gem that uh, gives you live editing. It basically gives you a pretty interface, a whistle. Mm -hmm as as they affectionately call it, that enables you to uh, build it into possibly a CMS so that your non-technical users don't need to write Markdown. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. There's also some improvements to auto-loading. That sounds nice. I'm curious if it will solve some of the things that I've run into with auto-loading. I haven't dug mm -hmm. into it, but that seems really cool. Um, also, RailsConf um, this year sold out. So to me, that's always a, a very healthy sign of, or that's a great sign of how healthy a community framework is thriving. I completely agree. Yeah, I love those conferences. I'll be headed to RubyConf in Nashville in November, and I'm so excited about it. Awesome. I haven't been to a RubyConf. I've only been to a Rails, but that's on my list. That sounds great. It, that I am the exact same way. So I almost feel like when I go to RubyConf, I'm going to have to like quiet down the Rails part of me just because I feel <laughs> very much that I'm a Ruby on Rails developer, but I'm also a core Ruby developer and I have to remind myself of that. Awesome. That sounds fun. So you mentioned on a recent Bike Shed episode that you were intimidated when you took on your first ThoughtBot client, but it was ultimately a success. I'd love if you could talk a little more about that. Sure. Um, so joining ThoughtBot had been on my horizon for a little while. It was a company I was familiar with because I used some of their, I say they, but now I can say our, uh, our open source libraries uh, when I was in Launch Academy. So I was aware of ThoughtBot. Also, when I landed my first job, I was one of the only developers on the team. It was a very small startup, and I didn't know what I was doing. And ThoughtBot offered a help bar. I think it was once a month or once every other week that I would come and I'd be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Would you help? So I, I started building a relationship with ThoughtBot there, and I always viewed them as just very skilled, very kind, and a group that I was interested in working with. So when I had the opportunity to join ThoughtBot, that was very exciting. And I really have to say thank you to my colleague, Matt Sumner, because I had worked with him when I was working for a company that was a client of ThoughtBot. And when they fell upon some hard times and had some layoffs, he reached out to me and he said, hey, do you want to apply to ThoughtBot? And I said, yes, but I, I don't know if I can. I'm very intimidated to do this. So he encouraged me and um, helped walk me through that process. So it's a big thanks to him that I, I feel like I'm, I'm here today. And then for the first project, uh, yes, so I hadn't been a consultant before. I 
had this impression that I needed to show up to that team and just know everything because they are paying for my time and I'm coming in there as a ThoughtBot representative. And so I just felt very much like a fraud and that I wasn't going to be able to live up to that hype. And thankfully, I was totally wrong (laughs) in the sense that they are looking for very skilled, knowledgeable individuals, but they're also looking for competent, friendly people that they want to work with and those that have experience in this industry. So I had a a wonderful onboarding experience where another ThoughtBot developer was paired with me as my onboarding buddy. We did a lot of pairing in the beginning, which helped level me up quickly. It also prevented me from ever feeling isolated or nervous about the decisions that I was making in the code base. So I think that's really what contributed to that project. Starting out was very intimidating, but then being a success, especially for me, not just for the client is the fact that I had someone that was that had my back the whole time and was there to support me. ThoughtBot does a, a really good job of that. That's so great. So I was a ThoughtBot client earlier this year as we redid our Select Your Own Seat feature on our website. And I was the one who recommended that we use ThoughtBot because I listened to all the podcasts, read the blog posts. You guys do a really great job of really putting out amazing content and you know the libraries are fantastic to have. So for listeners that are unfamiliar with how ThoughtBot works, can you take us through a day in the life of what you do? Sure. Uh, So for anyone that's not familiar with ThoughtBot, we are a group of designers and developers, and we help individuals and teams build digital products and a day in the life. Uh, I almost imagine it's very similar to kind of your day or anyone that's on an engineering team. I typically start my day anywhere between 9 and 9.30. And I'll start with either working on my particular ticket for a client or um, helping review code. We are strong believers in stand-up. So we'll have our internal ThoughtBot stand-up each morning at 10 a.m. and then often have stand-ups with our clients. At the beginning of the week, we will spend time with the client at their office. So I'm at my client's office typically Monday and Tuesday, or at least two days out of each week. And then we spend the other part of our time in the office. So that way we have a chance to also be together and work together. Um, So that's one big part I really enjoy is actually getting to be present with the team that I'm working with. Um, And then we'll have lunch, and we're also big advocates around really taking time for lunch, pushing away from your desk, walking together somewhere, and then sitting down together and enjoying each other for an hour before going back to work. And then also I'm I'm highlighting all the fun stuff like the the lunch and then the coffee walks at three. There's lots of work that takes place, too. <laughs> <laughs> I personally went on several of those coffee walks while I was working with the New York office, and they were a true joy to work with. Um, I especially enjoyed the first week as a client where we did the sprint design process. Is that what it's called? It is. Um, oh, so fun because it really got us to think outside of the box, and we were ultimately very happy with how the project turned out. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, I'm so glad you were on site with them in New York. It's it's a lot of fun to be with the crew. And the sprint designs are amazing. They're intense. Um, but like you said, they, they get you walking through and validating an idea and getting feedback from users. Did you have user interview process for your sprint design or what was it like? I actually had ThoughtBot come to us for a week towards the end of the project and they did some user interviews just to make sure that we were on the right path. We were an interesting project because from what I understand, ThoughtBot usually takes on a whole application. We came to ThoughtBot and said, we need to fix this one screen. And so that was very unusual uh, to be in the legacy app and just being focused on one part of the application. It was great, but it was also very different, I think. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right, where typically we'll do larger projects. But to be fair, my most recent client was in a similar situation where they had built a form, um, not realizing that this form was going to become so crucial to the main flow of their application. And they built it quickly. They built it um, just adding to it here and there and had gotten to the point that it was tough to iterate on. And they really need to step back and think through that process and elevate its importance to the users. So they came to us. And so that, that was similar where we rebuilt kind of a, a page, but it became a little it's a, its own standalone application. What was cool for us, too, is while we told our ThoughtBot developers that we wanted to focus on the one screen, they had all these great suggestions to improve the overall health of the app. We basically didn't have a setup script so that no new developers could get onboarded onto the project because we only have two developers on any given day. And so they helped us write a script. So now, you know, when I had to get a new machine, I had the setup script to be able to get the application up and running. So it's just it was just really nice to um, basically have someone looking over our shoulder and just making sure that we're doing all the best things that we could. For sure. That's that's one of my favorite parts, too, is adding all those helpful things, because since we're onboarding to a client, we get to have those fresh eyes of how easy is it to get up and running with the application? How can we make this easier for the next person? And that's tough when you if you have a smaller team or if you just haven't had any churn with your team and you haven't had new folks in a while. So, yeah, I love when we're able to to streamline processes for future developers. So let's talk podcasting. The Bike Shed is a very well-loved podcast, and I think we as listeners were unsure with, with the future of the podcast once the previous host left, but you and Chris have done an excellent job in the transition. So how did you get involved? Oh, well, thank you for saying that. That's very kind, and it's it's really nice to hear because I joining the podcast was a, a big step, and I, I was nervous for that. So I became involved um, when Derek and Sean um, – were leaving and turning over the podcast to Chris. I had watched him and I knew that he was working on the podcast and he was going through and inviting guests on. And at one point he asked me to come on as a guest. And I told him no, <laughs> that I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> I, I told him that I wasn't sure that I would be any good at podcasting. And it seemed uh, like this big lofty thing that I, I wasn't sure I was ready for. Uh, but being uh, the encouraging soul that he is, he was like, no, you'll do great. And he's like, and if it is terrible, we just don't have to publish it. <laughs> and I was like, that's that's a great point. OK, so there's that nice safety net. So he um, brought me on the show. I recorded my first episode with him as a guest. I, I think it's back in October 2018. And it was it was a lot of fun. Um, he then brought me back on for a second episode later on. And then it was earlier this year, around March, that he asked me if I wanted to be a co-host. And I did a little dance in my living room when, <laughs> when he um, when he uh, asked me that. And it's uh, gone really well from there. It's been a huge help that he is very good at this. He is very organized. He has great opinions on just how the show should be and keeping things positive that jive really well with a lot of my beliefs as well. And then it helps that we have a great relationship with each other already because we were already spending so much time just chatting through technical conversations with each other. And, and now we just sit behind microphones when we have those conversations. I think so. I've always viewed The Bike Shed as the most technical podcast at um, ThoughtBot. 
And I'm just very impressed with how you and Chris are able to discuss technical content without us being able to read or see anything. And so I think that's a special skill because it makes it more accessible. I can listen to it in the car and not worry about having to look up something because you're very good about, if someone says some sort of acronym, the other one's very good about breaking that down to make sure that everyone is on the same page. Oh, that's that's excellent feedback to hear. Yeah, I, I realize it is hard to have some of those conversations and paint a mental picture for anyone that's listening. So I, if I'm bringing something especially technical to the table, I try to think through in advance of what's a good way that someone can visualize this as I walk through it and also just give concrete examples because sometimes you may hear a technical solution, but you're not really sure how to apply it or how to use it. So that's that's great that we're doing a good job. <laughs> well, I think the real challenge that you've had lately is the listener questions, which I think is a great idea. But some of the listener questions are very technical. And so you two uh, tackling those on air is very impressive. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's that's been amazing. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly how that started. If we received one listener question and then we were just jazzed by the idea of this is something we could ask for more people to send us. And I've been impressed by the quality of questions that people are sending us, the the number of questions that folks, we have a, a little bit of a backlog that we're working through and um, the variety. Because otherwise, these are types of questions and experiences that I haven't been exposed to. But then reading their question, it gets me to think outside of my experience and put myself in their shoes to think about, oh, yeah, that's a really interesting question and get to think through how, how I would approach it or how Chris would approach it. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, I saw something in your history that I wanted to ask you about. So I saw the name Society of Grownups. What is that and how did you get involved? That that was a fun one whenever I told anyone that I worked for Society of Grownups. <laughs> Luckily, a number of people in Boston are familiar with that company, so they didn't always give me a, a deer in the headlights look. <laughs> But uh, so they are a company. They were created by Mass Mutual and they assess financial education. They had a really awesome offering where you could have an hour session with a financial advisor and it was very affordable. I think most financial sessions, if you want to speak to an advisor, you have to have a certain amount of capital to even get your foot in the door or it may cost $500 to hire someone and they would offer an hour consultation for I think the first one was $60 and the second one was $100. They did a great job of helping you figure out your financial values and aligning with you. They wouldn't tell you like, oh, you can't have that latte each morning because it's too expensive. They'd say, well, what's important to you and let's build a budget from there. So they, they were a great company. I, I really enjoyed working with them and I felt like I w was creating good content to help others that are looking to set themselves up for financial success. And then unfortunately, they um, Mass Mutual did decide to shut down Society of Grownups. My understanding is they were running two different companies. One of them was selling Mass Mutual products when they were having those consultations. And Society of Grownups was not. We were not at all pushing Mass Mutual specific products, which really helped build trust in the community. Um, and they decided to go with the other approach because it was generating more money. No, it sounds like a really cool concept. So how can the listeners follow you, The Bike Shed, and ThoughtBot? Oh, certainly. Uh, so you can follow me. I'm on Twitter at SVicari, S-V-I-C-C-A-R-I. -I. Uh, you can follow Chris and I on The Bike Shed. We're also on Twitter at underscore Bike Shed. 
And you're also welcome to email me. I'm Steph at ThoughtBot.com. If you're looking for that developer friend to help you get started, feel free to send me an email. Excellent. Well, thank you, Steph, so much for coming onto the podcast today. You had some really great insights, and I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy listening to them. Oh, thank you, Brittany. This was delightful.